we are in Proverbs chapter 3, which is where we, where we left off last time. Uh, you know, we, we studied the first 12 verses our, our last Sunday in Proverbs 3, and we studied those five commands that were in the odd-numbered uh, verses, and we studied the five promises that correlated to those commands. And then uh, we, we, we talked about how this is a portion of Proverbs in which Solomon is encouraging his, his son to pursue wisdom. He's trying to motivate him, and so he is incentivizing this pursuit with these promises. And so he's going to continue to do that here in chapter 3 as we take verses 13 through 35. You know, from time to time, someone will ask, hey, how do you decide how many verses you're going to preach in a sermon? Um, And, and, you know, when it came to chapter 3, there's a heading above verse 1, and then there's a heading above verse 13. And that's all there was to it. <laughs> Sometimes there's more to it than that. But this time, I just chose where the, the break was, uh, according to the translators in the Bible. Um, but the heading in that verse 1 is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And of course, that's drawing out the most popular verse in the entire book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own, your own understanding. And the heading above verse 13 is verse 13. And it says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. So that's, that's the thought for today. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. You know, you only tend to find that which you're looking for, right? We don't tend to just stumble into to, to finding wisdom especially, but you only find what you're looking for. Are you looking for wisdom today? You know, we actually have, we have an expert in this church when it comes to finding things. And uh, he, he's not here this morning either, <laughs> which maybe that's for the best. And I, he can be a sermon illustration since, since he's not here. Uh, but he was here last week, and we were talking about his hobby that he has. And he is an expert at finding things. And I discovered his hobby in a very peculiar way. I was on a kayaking trip at, uh, at the Little Hawking River. Once a year, my family and I, we try to go do a kayaking trip, you know, rent the canoes or the kayaks, and we, we do like the five-mile paddle down the river thing. Well, we're, we're just spending some time together as a family, and I, we, we come around this turn, and I see this man standing in the middle. He's probably about 200 yards away. He's standing in the middle of the river about chest high. You know, the little Hawking River is not that deep and really shallow in some places, but he's about in chest high water looking down, and he has headphones and sunglasses on, and I'm like, what is that guy doing? This is, this is weird. And so we're floating towards him in the middle of the river. Like, it's like we're going to find out because we're going that way. And there's no other way to go. And as we get closer and closer, you know, he looks up and he's looking at me. And now our, our eyes are locked, right? And so now we're like 100 yards away. I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. And it's getting, it's getting awkward. And I'm floating in that direction. And then he's like, hey. And I'm like, oh, man, is he, is he talking to me? Like, there's no one else here. It's just me and the kids. Like, is he talking to us? And I'm like, hey. He's like, I know you. I have no idea who it is because he's got headphones and sunglasses. I'm like, I know you too. <laughs> I have no idea who this is. And as I float closer, he takes off his headphones and sunglasses, and it's Steve Wagner. And he's metal detecting in the middle of the Little Hawking River by himself. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, 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 what are you doing out here in the, in the river? And so he, he comes to shore and we're, we're talking like this is so random. I just did not expect to see you standing in the middle of the river by yourself. And he's got like the Rolls Royce of metal detectors. And it's, it goes underwater and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, I'm a part of this, um, this national organization 
that when you lose something, you can go on this website and you find the nearest guy to you and he can find things for you. And so I'm that guy. This lady has hired me to find her wedding rings in the Little Hawking River. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. You can't find wedding rings. She dumped, you, didn't even, you weren't even with her. She, she's like, he's like, well, you know, she took me here. She's somewhere in, in these, it's, it's in these 20 feet. He's like, if it's, if it's metal, it's going to sink to the bottom. It's going to be real close. It's not going to keep going downstream. And so he's, sure enough, he's around there. He finds the wedding rings. I'm so impressed. And, he, and if you go, he has like a little website and stuff. If, you, if you're friends with him on Facebook, you'll see it all the time. He posts everything that he finds. And he's found, you know, just buckets and buckets of sunglasses in the Little Hawking River. Uh, everybody loses those. But he's found a ton of rings and necklaces, all this jewelry. And uh, he, then he posts it on this site, and people go sort through it, and they can look to see if he's found it. But he's even gone to, like, old Civil War sites, and he's found cannonballs or musket balls. And, and people hire him to find cell phones in the river. And it, it's crazy. All, all of the things that he's found, it, it's, it's really amazing. But you know why he's able to find those things? It's because he's made an effort. He's looking for them. He's made an effort to know how to look for them really well, and he's gotten really, really good at it, and he's been hired by a lot of people to find a lot of different things. I can guarantee you I will go back to the Little Hawking River uh, probably several times with my kids because we love to do that, and I can guarantee you I'll never find a ring, I'll never find a watch, I'll never find a cell phone because I'm not looking for any of it. No doubt there's tons of that stuff in that stretch of the river where everyone goes and loses their stuff. You know, the boat capsizes and you lose everything. But I'll never find any of it because I'll never be looking for it. I'm never going to just be walking along and and stumble into jewelry. But I, I, I bet you, though, if we knew just how much jewelry was in that stretch of the river, I bet you we'd all be willing to look up how to metal detect on YouTube or something, right? I bet you there's all kinds of treasures uh, that people have lost over the years. But you know, our church experience can be much the same. We can come here and pass over the most valuable aspect of this experience over and over and over again. And how many times have we either been the person that said this or heard the person say, I've spent so much time in church and I've wasted so much of it to just daydreaming, to just not being ready, to just not being prepared mentally to pursue the wisdom of the Lord. And so I come here and I just think about anything but here. I sing the songs, I play along, but I don't think about what I'm singing. I don't think about why I'm here. I just, I'm here because I'm supposed to be here and that's all. And then church feels like a waste of time because you did waste your time. But the Bible says, like, if we, if we pursue his wisdom, we will find it. We will find it. If we ask for this wisdom, he will give it to us. And so don't, don't be here this morning without good intentions. Don't be here this morning and pass over the most valuable thing we have to offer you. And that is the wisdom of God. I want you to notice it. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to pursue it. I want, I want to encourage you to develop a craving for the word of God when we come here that we can collectively pursue this together. So let's do that today. Let's jump in at verse 13. Let's just take 13 through 18. And, and I want you to listen to the value we are to place on the wisdom of God, how we are to, to think about it. 13 through 18 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding, 
For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast, hold her fast, are called blessed. So the, the, the verse that really jumps out on the page to me as I'm reading through that section is nothing you desire compares to the value that wisdom has, that the wisdom of God has. You think about all the desires we have right now. You, you, we, every person here, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what you're into, you have some deep desires in your hearts and minds right now. Whether they be good, bad, or ugly, you have so many desires that you are dealing with and filtering through and thinking about all of the time. And the Bible comes out here and says, listen, all of those desires, the things that you want, you can't even compare it. It's not even in the same ball game. As the, as the gift of heavenly wisdom, you should be desiring this above all other things. I bet you our lists of desires, though, are very similar to the list provided. Right? It mentions, you know, you think of all the, the silver and gold and jewels. People love stuff, right? We want them dollar bills. Show me the money. We, we always think that, like, more stuff and more money, that is going to bring us the most uh, fulfilling uh, life. That's going to enhance our life the most. And so most of our desires have to do with those things, money and stuff. And so he's saying, hey, listen, that doesn't even compare to the value of of wisdom. It's not not even close uh, to the understanding from God. It's like Solomon's sitting down with his, his son, and he just wants them to know, hey, buddy, I want you to understand this. So often in life, it will feel like more stuff and more money is going to bring you fulfillment, and that's always going to be the answer. This world has a way of tricking you into believing that, so almost everyone believes that. So we're, we're, we're building our lives on, on a foundation that it just pursues money and stuff. And the more money and stuff you can get, the better off you'll be. He, and he wants his son to know, don't buy into that lie. There's never enough money. There's never enough stuff. Money can buy you the house, but it's wisdom that makes that house feel like a home and feel like a place you really want to exist and want your family to exist. Money can put a ring on her finger, right? Or replace the ring that you lost in the river. But money can't build a healthy marriage. Only wisdom can build that healthy marriage. Trust me. He's like saying, trust me, boy. You want wisdom more than you want that stuff. Trust me. Look at all the wealthy and the tabloids and their struggling marriages. So wisdom, though, it says all her ways are pleasantness. Remember, he, he personifies this wisdom of God as a, as a woman that should be desired. Her wisdom is pleasantness. All her paths are peace. This is going to bring you shalom. Money can't buy that. You can't say that about money. You can't say that about money. Money can, can provide a ton of things, but it, it can't bring you peace. Only wisdom can do that. One author defined wisdom as this, and I really, it really stuck with me. He said, wisdom is the skill at living life well. Wisdom is the skill of living life well. And so we want that godly wisdom so that we live well according to his standard of living well. And when we do, 
He says in verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. When we do live with the the wisdom of God, it's as if we are regaining access to the tree of life. Now, the tree of life is only mentioned in three places in the Bible, or three books of the Bible. When we start reading in the beginning of Genesis, we, we, it doesn't take long before we get to the tree of life. In the, in the Garden of Eden with Adam, Adam and Eve, there are two trees. There's the tree of life, and then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, is forbidden. You are not to eat of that tree. And so if you don't eat of that tree, you get to exist with the tree of life. Well, we know how the story goes. They do eat the forbidden fruit. Sin enters the world, and therefore they no longer have access to the tree of life, which represents immortality and eternal life. So they are banned from the Garden of Eden. That's where we see the tree of life in Scripture in Genesis. And then we see the tree of life at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. We see it almost in the last chapter of Revelation. Well, it is the last chapter, Revelation 22. And so Revelation 22, we see the tree of life back on the scene because what we're seeing in the prophecy in the the latter part of Revelation is redemption has occurred. Everything's been made new again. And so God's people are dwelling with him and the tree of life is there. They can exist with the tree of life, which represents immortality and eternal life, because sin is not there. And so where there is no sin, they they get to exist with the tree of life and live forever with God, free from sin. And so the only other place we see the tree of life mentioned in the entire Bible is right here in Proverbs. It'll be mentioned a few more times as we go along. But it's mentioned here in Proverbs in such a way that the Jew would have been reading this and been very familiar with the tree of life and what it represents. And so Solomon's saying, when you live with the wisdom of God, it's as if you are are living with a taste of that tree of life. And of course, we get to read this from the vantage point of the gospel. We know wisdom is a person. He is Jesus. We have been redeemed. We have this redemption right now. It is a certainty that we will exist with the tree of life into eternity with God. But we get a foretaste of that right now. That is assured through the death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But we, so we have that certainty right now. We have faith. But we will exist there in the fullest sense in the life to come. And so Solomon's saying to his boy, you know, you want to you live life to the fullest? You want to feel, uh, a t- you know, get a taste of what life was meant to be? Live in the holiness of God. Live in the holiness of God. Well, let's keep going in 19 and 20 as he, as he deepens his description of this wisdom that we are to pursue. In 19 and 20 it says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So he's saying the same wisdom that the book of Proverbs is trying to make us aware of, to open our eyes that we would receive this wisdom, that's the same wisdom that God created everything. It's pretty good wisdom. (laughs) Everything was created by this wisdom of God. And we have so many examples of this in nature, right? That's why so many... Times in Scripture, authors will point to nature and the order of things in nature as proof of the existence of God. And, of course, the, the, the example he gives here, just look at the rain, man. Think about the rain. We've got all this water in the world, but we wouldn't have any vegetation without the water getting to us on land and getting to our crops on land. In the wisdom of God, he ordered things in such a way that water would evaporate. 
Evaporation, condensation, and precipitation. I think I got all those in the right order. Like, he figured out a way to bring the rain, to bring the water to us. So the water from the oceans keep our crops alive. And it, he even does it in such a way that, like, he takes the salt out of it and then dumps it on the ground so we don't all die and drink salt water. It's, it's incredible. He's like, we have, th- this is the wisdom. This is the wisdom and the knowledge of life. It, God created things in a specific way, and it functions best when it works according to that design. And so when we live life counter to the designs of God, that's, what we're, that's when we're pursuing decay and death and, and the opposite of a f- fulfilling life. I mean, you think when you, when you don't use something the way it was designed to be used, things can go really, really poorly. I mean, am I the only, I'm not the only guy in here that's ever tried to, like, hammer a nail with a pipe wrench. I'm certain I'm not the only guy. This happened to me not long ago where I'm just lazy. I'm trying to hang a picture. I just need to nail the nail into the wall. But the garage was 30 feet away. I already had my tool chest, but I didn't have my hammer. So what else do I got in here? You've done this? Has any other guy done this before? You're just, what else do I got in here? I grab the pipe wrench. I take one whack. It ricochets off the nail, hits my thumb. I'm dancing around, saying words I shouldn't say. I take another whack at it, ricochets the other way off the nail and puts a hole in the drywall. And then I put my head down and I go get the dang hammer. That's what I should have done in the first place. You know, it's so often that we just get lazy in our pursuit of holiness and our pursuit of God's wisdom and living according to his design. We think, ah, I know that's the right way, but I'm just going to do it this way because it's easier, a little less effort. And we can make a wreck of our lives when we do this. Sometimes when we go for the easy win, whatever that may be, we wreck our lives in the process. And what we learn in Proverbs, live according to God's design. It's, this, is, this is going to re- be the most rewarding way to live possible. Take the effort that's necessary to gain this wisdom that is freely being offered to us. Let's keep going here in verses 21 through 26 so that we can keep pace and get through this chapter. He says, My son, do not lose sight of these things. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul, an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in the way, in your, in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. He's saying, son, listen, wisdom matters. It is life-giving. You want to live life in a way that is life-giving? So many things in this world, you live life, and it's just like life-taking. It just sucks the life out of you. Well, God's holiness and his wisdom will never do that to you. It is life-giving. It even helps you have rest at night. Right? When, you, when you lay down and sleep, if you've been sinning all day or, ha- or, or your foot keeps getting caught in that sin, when you lie down and you try to sleep, you, there's all sorts of thoughts that can go through your mind and wreck your sleep. What if someone finds out? What if, what, how is this going to impact my family? What, what's going to happen if they know this? Do they know this? We have all those thoughts and it, it can steal all of our sleep. We can't get any shalom, any rest. Not only that, he says, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. 
Even when you've done the right thing, pursuing the wisdom of God doesn't necessarily mean that all of life is going to get easier. The Bible makes that very clear. Sometimes doing the right thing, it feels like it's making life harder in so many ways. But if you're doing the right thing and living according to the wisdom of God, at least you can sleep at night. You can have some sweet rest and sleep because you're doing the right thing. I mean, you ever have one of those moments in which life is just so crazy or you got this situation that's just, it's just driving you nuts and it's hard to do the right thing. You want to do the wrong thing so bad. Maybe someone is motivating you with their actions to do the wrong thing. But you did the right thing. At least you can sleep at night. And if things do go wrong, well, you live with the confidence of the Lord. He is on your side. And so if things do go wrong, it's, it's under his providence. It's under his sovereignty. And you can accept that because you did what you were supposed to do. That's the sort of rest. That's the sort of peace, the shalom that comes with the wisdom of God. And Solomon's trying to say, boy, that's what you want. That's what you want more than anything else. If you can live with fulfillment and if you can live with peace, when you can sleep at night, trust me, boy, you want that more than anything else in the world. That is going to bring you the best life possible. So in this section, 13 through up to 26, he's been telling us the, the value of wisdom by, by pointing us to the Lord and thinking about this vertical relationship with him and receiving this wisdom. The latter part of this chapter, the rest of it, it's going to be about our horizontal relationships. When we live with this wisdom of God, it's going to give us the most rewarding and fulfilling life, but it's going to affect those around you. And so because of that wisdom, we live a specific way and interact with people in a certain way. And so that's what he's getting into here next. Let's just take the next two verses, 27 and 28. He says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So He's saying when you live with this wisdom of God, it, it causes you to be a more generous person. It causes you to be the type of person who wants to meet the needs of those around them. And I, and I love specifically, it says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. I, evidently, that's a, that's a difficult sentence to translate from Hebrew to English. And so the emphasis, though, in this verse, it's saying, like, if you can meet a need of this person, if you can uh, you, you know, uh, help them in some way. Like, legally, they don't have the right to your help, but if you are a child of God, morally, they do have a right to your help. That's, what he, that, that's the emphasis that's, uh, that he's trying to make here in this verse. Like, if you can meet this need, like don't, like, don't put it off. Meet the need. Help those around you. Be a generous person. Now, obviously, we have to do this within reason. I can't fix every problem. I can't meet every need. I can't pay everybody's bills and things like that, right? But we need to do what we can. We need to be the type of people that kind of routinely ask the question, like, is there anything I'm withholding? We think about serving one another and serving our, com our community, our fellow man. Is there anything I am withholding that I should be giving more freely of? That's the type of posture you live with when you're living with the wisdom of God. Then he goes on in 29 and 30. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. In other words, living with the wisdom of God, it means being a type of person who's trustworthy to be around. 
you're trustworthy, people can trust you, you cause peace. You not only live in the peace of God, but you cause peace in the lives of people around you. Or, or like it says in the Sermon on the Mount, right, be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's the same exact thing, same exact thought. He's saying you're not, you're not to be the type of person that is a troublemaker. Don't live in such a way that you're always looking to, to stir up trouble around unsuspecting people. And aren't people like that just exhausting? Doesn't it just seem like there's some people in this world that they are just lurk, looking to stir the pot no matter where they are? They just naturally, by the way they, they talk and how they live, they just stir up trouble. Don't be that type of person. Don't be the type of person who's always critical of everybody, who's always overly judgmental when it comes to everything going on in everybody's life. If that guy down the street doesn't believe what you believe, if he's not living the way you think everyone should live, and if he's not doing everything the way you think he should do it, if he's leaving you alone, the best thing to do sometimes is just leave him alone. Don't go stirring up trouble. Don't, don't go causing trouble where there is no trouble. Don't cause a ruckus. There doesn't need to be one. Then he continues here in 31 and 32. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. You know, you think of the, the violent man. You know, when it comes to, it just makes me think of the bully. The violent man or the violent woman, you know, the, the bull, today, I, I think when it comes to bullying and things like that, I've mentioned this in sermons before, like I don't think it's so much about pushing and shoving anymore. There's so many ways to, to bully people and there's so many ways for bullies to be empowered in this world that now our concept of bully isn't just the kid that grew faster than everybody else and pushes everybody down and takes their lunch money. There's a lot more to bullying than that. There's, bullies come in all shapes and sizes now. And people bully each other emotionally in addition to physically. And there's all sorts of bullying in this world. And nothing lights my fire like a bully. I, I don't know why. Man, a bully just lights my fire. It just, I, I turn red. I get, I get so frustrated when I interact with someone whom I perceive to be a bully. I always, I always tell my kids, like, this is probably not a good proverb. But I, I, uh, because it's one I'm thinking of, I made up. But I tell my kids, hey, never, under any circumstances, Never bully anyone unless they're a bully. <laughs> that's, that's how I phrase it to my kids. Never bully anyone in this world unless they're a bully. Man, you handle them a little differently. Don't give them an inch, right? Don't, don't give them any ground. Always stand your ground. Go out of your way to make the life of a bully difficult. Make it Make it so extremely hard for them. Frustrate them. If you see someone bullying someone else, always frustrate the bully. Make their life difficult so they can't accomplish what they want to set out to accomplish. And I, I do that because <laughs> there's probably a better way to phrase that. Uh, and, I, and I tell them, obviously, you know, you don't, don't hit the bully. But you can conquer the bully with a smile on your face if you're smart enough. Don't let a bully get away with it. Get in his way. Protect the weak, and don't ever envy his ways. That's the biggest temptation, I think, in our culture. You, there's so many easy ways to become a bully now. Like I said, it doesn't matter how big and strong you are. You can be a bully in so many different ways. And so intellectually, people love to be intellectual bullies, and it drives me nuts. Now that we have social media, it's like they've thrown gasoline on the intellectual bullying 
problem. And, and people often, they envy that way of life because intellectual bullying, or, or any bullying for that, for that matter, bullying gets results. It works. That's why people do it. If you want something, you can often find a way to bully your way there, and it gets results. So people do it, and more and more people do it. It's an appealing way to live, right? It's fun to be the Karen. <laughs> is, that the, is that the generic one that picks on people? I don't know. You, you bully people, you can get results. And, and so Solomon's saying to his son, don't, don't ever envy that way of life. Don't ever envy someone who bullies their way to getting what, do they, what they want. Because they may get the results they want. And, if, and if, you, if you try out that way of life, you may start to get results. But there is, is one obstacle that you have completely underestimated. And that is you have created an enemy that cannot be beaten. You have, you have caused there to be an opposition in your life that you cannot overcome. And it is the Lord. Listen to this in 33 through 35. The, Lord, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Wow. You know, when that, when that verse is is uh, translated in the New Testament as it is quoted a couple different places, I think in 1 Peter and in James. I didn't write it down in my notes, but the Lord uh, opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. You'll see it said, uh, or, uh, quoted that way in the New Testament. You, you don't want to build an enemy on the Lord, right? The one whose wisdom created rain. Probably don't want to oppose that guy or have him oppose you. You know, Solomon wants, him to, wants his son to know, if you live counter to the ways of God, you may prosper right now, it may work out great, but you will not prosper forever. And he's saying to his son, if you follow the wisdom of God, you may not prosper right now, but it's only a matter of time, you will prosper in the end, it is inevitable. And at the same time, he says when people reject the wisdom of God, there, is, there are ways in which they suffer right now. But that's only a foretaste of the suffering that's to come. And he also says people who benefit from receiving the wisdom of God, and, and, you, and you, get to, you get to reap the good benefits of receiving the wisdom of God and, and live in that glory, that's only a foretaste of the glory that's to come. And so all of this, once again, it is a certainty because of Jesus. He is the wisdom of God that entered his creation. And through his life, death, and resurrection, we have this eternal life with God forever, free from sin. We get a taste of that as we live amongst the church right now in community, meeting needs and loving one another and taking care of those around us and not being troublemakers and living in the wisdom of God. There's so many benefits of that now, but it's only a foretaste of what is to come. Through Christ, we will live in community with one another, free from sin and stress and loss and worry, all of that. It will be the sweetest rest possible. It will be shalom in the fullest sense. So let's think about what we have because of Christ as we take communion together today. Let's pray. Lord, 
again, I pray that this is a time of pursuit. Lord, that by your grace we can pursue you and be intentional, uh, Lord, about receiving your wisdom. We thank you so much for the book of Proverbs that makes us aware. So often it just comes down to a matter of awareness. We just don't know what we're holding in our hands each Sunday morning with your word. But Lord, I pray that that would change. I pray that that would change, Lord, that it would be something that we hold higher and higher in esteem, that we would understand more and more the value of. And Lord, that by your grace we may receive this wisdom and live to your glory. Thank you so much for sending your son to make this possible. And it's in his name we pray.